Coming up this evening, live from New York City. Oil companies posting record revenues, boosted by surging prices for crude oil and natural gas. The Federal Reserve's preferred inflation figure hits a 40-year high. The Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index is now at 6.8 percent. China could be giving up its 5.5 percent GDP target for this year. One analyst labels it a failure. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. The Fed's primary inflation barometer, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, has hit a 40-year high again, just like its more reported on neighbor, the CPI. NTD's Faye Quarter has more. The Fed's favorite way to measure inflation, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, rose 6.8% in June, a new 40-year high. The index, which is also called the PCE, is an estimated total amount of personal consumption expenditures and is used to track prices of goods. From June 2021 to June 2022, that basket, broad basket, that's being reported or in this survey by businesses is showing that prices are up 6.8% year over year. Vance Ginn is the chief economist at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Ginn says another measure of inflation, the Consumer Price Index, or CPI, gets more attention because it's the higher rate and sounds worse. It therefore gets reported on more. The two are similar with some notable differences. We've long used PCE because we think it's just better at capturing the inflation that people actually face in their lives. Jerome Powell is the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Powell says the CPI has higher weights on things like food, gasoline, motor vehicles, and housing than the PCE index does. The CPI used to be the Fed's favorite indicator, but that changed in 1996. Stanford economist Michael Boskin found a few issues with the CPI. For example, in regards to the PCE. It accounts for substitution effects. If the price of one thing, the price of apples goes up, then you might buy more oranges. That is accounted for within the PCE index, but is not accounted for in the CPI. And also, unlike CPI, the PCE also takes information not just from urban consumers, but also suburban rural environments, as well as taking data from businesses to get a, a, what they hope to be a broader sense of true inflation. John Engel is the president of Almington Capital. Engel says it's hard to say where the inflation numbers are headed. There are a lot of unknown unknowns. Faye Quarter, NTD News. To fight inflation, the Federal Reserve hiked rates again just this week. That means it's now more expensive to borrow money. And that complicates things for people looking to buy a home. As interest rates climb, experts predict a slowdown in housing demand. But some buyers are trying to find opportunity in what many consider a bleak economic outlook. We hear from one of them. Gene Mamerill is on the cusp of achieving his lifelong dream. I've always wanted to live in a major city and... New York always just appealed to me. He works in IT for medical education. And since moving to the city in 2014, he's joined the thousands of New Yorkers who pay rent and live with roommates. But things shifted recently after rent for his $3,900 a month two-bedroom Manhattan apartment was set to increase by nearly $1,000. It's not going to get any cheaper to rent. And I'm basically just almost throwing away money for uh, renting. 
so he decided to enter the housing market despite an increase in interest rates, even if it means relying on family members for help. I'm like stable enough that I could put it in for a mortgage and I might as well just go ahead and go for it, especially with, uh, with my sister and my parents helping me. But not all potential buyers are in the same position. As the Federal Reserve continues to find inflation, borrowing costs are increasing. You have two buckets of buyers. Um, you have the buckets of buyers for who they simply will no longer be able to afford the same price point with the higher interest rates. Um, and then you also have the buckets of buyers who can afford anything in the world. This week, members of the U.S. Central Bank approved yet another interest rate hike of three quarters of a percentage point. That likely means higher interest rates for mortgages, which have seen some of the sharpest increase in decades. The housing market's taking it on the chin right now. Even in the big metros like LA, San Francisco, New York, where you might get jumbo loans, you've moved from two and a half to almost 5%. So it's naturally gonna slow down demand for homes just because homes have gotten that much more expensive. That could lead to a cooling of the housing market. I don't think we're gonna see plummeting. I think we're gonna see very steady, um, stable pricing, mm -hmm. not where it was a year ago, but we're not going to see New York fall 40%. For now, Gene is moving ahead with his purchase. People flock here. Like, yeah, you have your ebbs and flows of going in and out. The mortgage, I figure the rate itself, yes, it may jump up, but I figure I'll have a chance later on to, um, to refinance if it ever drops down to like a significantly low level. NTD's Paul Graney is at Alec's annual gathering of state legislators in Atlanta, Georgia. Here he is discussing the Democrats' latest spending plan with the Heritage Foundation's Joel Griffin. We're here at Alec's annual event, gathering of state legislators in Atlanta, Georgia, and we are delighted to be joined by Joel Griffith, research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Joel, it's great to see you again. Thanks for having me. Great to see you too. Joel, I think top of mind for me today is the kind of surprising news in my mind that this new reconciliation bill will apparently go through with Senator Joe Manchin's support of a long-time holdout. Does this surprise you? I'm not so surprised. We've known a long time that Senator Manchin is. Um, we, know, we know his political affiliation. We know what he's supported in the past, and he has been for expanding the size and the scope of government. So I'm disappointed that he has agreeing to a package that is going to dramatically increase taxes on businesses. It's going to actually include more taxes on fossil fuels, and it's going to even further socialize our healthcare sector. It's sad, it's gonna harm the people of West Virginia, and it's gonna harm us, but I'm not surprised. Why did it take the senators so long to agree to it? I don't know the answer to that question, but certainly uh, during this time in which his support has been uncertain, it certainly has given him a lot more influence in the Senate than he could have otherwise hoped for. But I don't know why he's choosing right now to make this decision. What I do know is that we are going to see negative economic consequences as a result in terms of health care, in taxes, and also our energy costs. Is the timing significant given how close we're getting to the midterms? 
well, certainly this is a setback for those of us that want to see your government act more responsibly. We are suffering through the consequences of too much spending and, of course, all of the trillions of dollars with the money printing. We're suffering from this. And to see the Senate now moving forward on a package that's going to increase taxes and increase costs on fuel production, this is unfortunate, not just for Republicans. This is going to hurt Democrats as well. At the polls, you mean? It's going to hurt them when it comes to our family budgets. That's where it's going to hurt. I don't know how this is going to play out politically, but if people are paying attention to what is going on in the Senate now with these tax hikes and with the increase in the taxes on fossil fuels, if people are paying attention to that, I think it's going to make them less likely to support those politicians that are supporting this legislation. And say, for example, Americans did realize that or, or, or come to the conclusion that this is where inflation is coming from, rampant government spending, money printing, and they decided, okay, let's go for a free market approach. Let's go for smaller government, less government spending. How long would it take to reverse the policies that we've seen over the past 18 months? Well, it's going to take a lot to reverse the impact that we've seen. Um, even if the government started acting responsibly tomorrow, that doesn't automatically undo the damage of the past two years. If you look at, for instance, the cost of living, we've seen the cost of living increase now close to, what, 15% over the last few years. Incomes have not kept up with that. We've seen a typical family, let's see your husband and your wife and you're working, making just a middle-class income. We've seen your real take-home pay decline by more than 6000 thousand dollars annually because of all this inflation. If inflation goes back to normal tomorrow, let's say back to 2% annually, that doesn't erase all that damage. What it will do, if we see governments start acting responsibly, it'll stop us from suffering damage going into the future. But unfortunately, we see little appetite on the part of, of uh, politicians in D.C., little appetite, including from Republicans, to actually right the wrongs that have been done. Joel Griffith, Heritage Foundation, thank you. Thanks for having me. Stocks added to their recent rally today. The Dow added 316 points, or 1%. The S&P gained 58 points, or 1 and 4 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq rose 228 points, or 1 and 9 tenths of a percent. For the month, the S&P 500 and Nasdaq both posted their biggest monthly percentage gains since 2020. Twitter's lawsuit against Elon Musk is set to go to trial this fall. A Delaware judge issued an order for the trial dates late Thursday. The judge ruled the trial will begin on October 17th, which is later than Twitter wanted, but it's also a lot earlier than the 2023 date the Musk legal team pushed for. Twitter is suing Musk to try to force him to follow through with his proposed deal to buy the social media company. Musk said he now wants to terminate their agreement, alleging Twitter breached multiple provisions in the deal. Despite the legal battle, Twitter is pushing to move forward with the process and hopes to have the agreement completed before October 24th. Amazon reported a second net loss in a row. It's one of the biggest companies in the world, so its performance is an indicator of what's happening in the overall economy. It lost $2 billion in the second quarter following its loss of $3.8 billion in the first quarter. Though the company did make more in revenue than the same quarter last year, it was weighed down by higher operating expenses and Rivian. Rivian is an electric truck startup that Amazon has invested heavily in. Its shares in Rivian plummeted, which forced them to record a $3.9 billion pre-tax loss 
While its core business of delivering things was down $1.4 billion, its service sales were up $9.5 billion. This means its cloud services and the services that it provides to other vendors on its site are performing well. Apple is holding out better than Amazon. It reported earnings late yesterday. It says parts shortage are easing and that demand for iPhones is unceasing, despite consumers tightening on other spending. That helped it top Wall Street expectations and forecast faster sales growth ahead. Jason Albano reports. Apple's posted a strong outlook for months ahead despite the slumping economy. On Thursday, they said a shortage in parts and disruptions to the supply chain were letting up, and demands for iPhones showed no signs of slowing down, despite consumers shutting their wallets. The iPhone is the company's biggest source of revenue. Phone sales in the fiscal third quarter rose 3% when Wall Street was expecting a 3% decline. Apple's loyal and relatively affluent customer base has led it weather spending dips better than other brands in the past. But the company did offer some caution. Chief Financial Officer Luca Maestri said the glum economy has hit sales of advertising, accessories and home products, and sales of its services grew slower than expected. Like many companies that generate substantial revenue overseas, Apple is getting less cash back when converted, no thanks to a rising dollar. Business took a hit after the company left Russia earlier this year, after the conflict in Ukraine began. And Chinese consumers in lockdown also limited sales. Finally, Apple, like many of its tech industry peers, is hiring less and cutting costs given the tough economic climate. On to oil earnings. The two largest U.S. oil companies, ExxonMobil and Chevron, posted record revenue today. They were boosted by surging prices for crude oil and natural gas over the second quarter. Exxon was number one, with a net income of $17.9 billion. Chevron brought in $11.6 billion. Both have ramped up share buybacks in recent months to satisfy investors looking for bigger returns. Exxon CEO said the strong results reflect a tight global market, where demand has recovered but supply has weakened. He warned that growing supply will not happen overnight. Exxon's shares were up 4.6% today. Chevron's stock was up nearly 9%. Speaking of fossil fuels, West Virginia, known for its coal, is barring five major financial institutions from doing new business in the state. It's after determining they're boycotting the fossil fuel industry. The companies include BlackRock, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo. Goldman didn't immediately comment, but the others said they disagreed with the decision. The state's treasurer said they reviewed the firm's policies and public statements. They found that their policies limited commercial relations with energy companies engaged in certain coal mining. West Virginia is the first state to move to kick out Wall Street firms. On to China. Beijing could be giving up its GDP goal for this year. A high-level Chinese Communist Party meeting took place yesterday. But during the meeting, mention of China's 5.5% GDP growth target was omitted. Now many are taking the omission as China possibly giving up on that goal. So what's China's GDP target now? Well, it's unclear. According to Chinese state-run media, Beijing will, quote, strive to achieve the best possible results. 
Some analysts believe the lockdowns in China are a possible reason that it looks increasingly unlikely Beijing will meet its GDP target. And here to talk to NTD's Don Ma about China's 5.5% GDP target is Antonio Grosefo. He's a China economic analyst and author of the book Beyond the Belt and Road, China's Global Economic Expansion. Antonio, thanks for joining us today. So a high-level meeting of the Chinese Communist Party took place on Thursday. But here's the interesting thing, right? They omitted any mention of their 5.5% GDP goal for this year. Now, some are taking it as China sort of giving up on that goal. So I, I want to get your, your thoughts on that. Does this mean China is realizing it can't achieve this goal? I think that is what it means. I mean, Xi Jinping already announced uh, a few weeks ago that they would no longer use GDP growth targets as a measure of how well he was doing. He decided that that is not how you would decide how well he is doing. And uh, so definitely playing down the GDP growth, and I think it's because they cannot achieve it. Now, he says it's not a measure, but here's a blunt question for you. Do you think, you know, China set out to achieve a goal? It seems like now they can't. Do you consider this a failure, maybe at least a miscalculation? Oh, it's definitely a failure. And remember that the numbers that they had before were probably not real. When they were hitting 6.7, they probably weren't really hitting 6.7. They were hitting something less than that. So this, in a way, might mean that if they're not even going to claim to hit 5.5, you know, God knows how low that real number is. And yet it's definitely a failure. I mean, it's the Xi Jinping policies of his crackdown on everything, restrictions on the tech industry, the real estate industry, the, the debt bubble, youth unemployment. It's, it's everything. Now, you, you mentioned a list of things. What do you think the biggest reason is to why they can't achieve this 5.5 target? Well, there's a number of reasons. Um, so you have endemic problems with debt, right? Public debt is a huge thing. Uh, another one is the pandemic has done so much, not the pandemic, their response to the pandemic has done so much permanent damage to the Chinese economy and to the world economy. Uh, and then you have continued lockdowns. I live and work in Mongolia, and this morning uh, they decided to stop the flights. Uh, the Chinese government decided to stop the flights from Hohot to Ulaanbaatar because of COVID. So every time you're uh, canceling flights, you're closing borders, you're going to be negatively impacting your GDP. Right, right. So their pandemic response, their zero COVID policy, right? It might be the biggest obstacle. But, you know, despite that, let me give you a quote from the CCP meeting. They said the dynamic zero COVID policy must be insisted on. Can you explain to me the logic here? It seems they're putting their, econ their own economy in the backseat. I honestly cannot explain to you why they did that. I, I find that baffling. You know, why are they insisting on this zero COVID policy? I thought surely by now they would start to ease up. And I'm sure that they have. Like, I really believe because they've reduced the lockdowns in Shanghai. So it, so it seems to me that they are actually easing off of the COVID zero policy, or at least that they're recognizing that they have to keep Shanghai and Beijing open to keep the economy going. But I don't know how, why they're insisting on this COVID zero policy. Maybe it's because this is Xi Jinping's personal policy. If he walks back on it, it might make him look bad. But anyways, Antonio Grisefo, China economic analyst, thanks for coming on today. Okay, thank you for having me, Don. Documents revealed in an online hack show how video game company Roblox planned to bend to censorship rules imposed by the Chinese communist regime, a requirement for the firm to do business in China. NTD's Sean Marshall has the details.
Documents revealed in an internet hack indicate that Roblox planned to bend to Chinese censorship. Motherboard reported that a separate criminal hacker obtained and then published the documents online this month in an attempt to extort money from Roblox, a video game company valued at $68 billion. Roblox did not comply with the ransom demand, and the hacker released the data. The Roblox documents described the company's plans to launch a video game in China. Not surprising was China's requirement that maps shown in the game had to, quote, respect the integrity of the country and not misrepresent the Chinese territory. One document shows a map of China and four areas marked in red circles that are, quote, prone to errors. Those areas highlight Taiwan, the South China Sea, Tibet, and Aksai Chin, areas that China repeatedly claims as being its own. Some documents showed that Roblox expected to be hacked when teaming up with Chinese companies. Chinese law requires foreign firms to partner with a Chinese company and host user data on local servers. Expect that hacking has already started, said one Roblox side in a presentation from 2017. Roblox even expected Tencent to copy their game and create its own version of it. Roblox stock has been trending up since May, while revenue from China's video game sector declined in the first half of 2022, for the first time since data became available 14 years ago. The world's biggest video game market continues to decline from Beijing's tightening oversight. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Still to come, a Chick-fil-A hiring miss. A store in North Carolina asks for volunteers to work. Instead of wages, it's offering to pay them in something else. We visit a playground dedicated to all things slime. The co-founders say they started it after slime helped them get through hard times. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. A Chick-fil-A in North Carolina has been looking for so-called volunteer workers. They'd be paid with chicken sandwiches and fries instead of actual wages. The store in Hendersonville posted the position on social media Tuesday. It called it, quote, a volunteer-based opportunity, where drive through workers would be paid with five entrees a shift instead of money. The move generated some backlash. Chick-fil-A ended up taking the post down. The store manager said the offer was meant for people who think it's a good fit for them and was different from full or part-time employment. But a Chick-fil-A spokesperson in Atlanta told the Washington Post yesterday that the Hendersonville store had decided to end the program. Southwest Airlines is upping the ante in terms of flexibility for customers. The carrier announced Thursday flight credits will never expire. Under the previous policy, they expired in a year. Southwest says customers can get flight credits when they cancel reservations more than 10 minutes prior to departure time. That goes along with the airline's policy to not charge change fees when customers reschedule flights within the same time frame. 
For now, flight credits will show expiration dates of 2040, while the airline updates its reservation software. Credits issued under the old policy retain their expiration dates. The new policy only applies to credits issued from now on. The Slumu Institute is dedicated to all things slime. It has an enormous slime wall decorated by more than 100,000 visitors, a 350-gallon slime lake that visitors jump into, and a glow-in-the-dark slime cave. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Layla Singer turned 10 on July 16th. As a special birthday treat, she got drenched in slime at the Slumu Institute in New York. I love slime. That's just me. But um, my dad hates it, so like, <laughs> probably wasn't the most fond experience for him. Her dad wasn't as excited. So gross. <laughs> Not my most favorite thing in the world, but you know what, they absolutely enjoyed it. It was fantastic. Slumu was created in 2019 after co-founder Karen Rabinovitz found that slime helped heal the grief she was going through at the time. Both of us, about five years ago, went through really personal uh, tragedies. Her husband died, and her cousin was in the Parkland school shooting, and my husband had massive bilateral strokes resulting in severe disability. Schiller said slime brought them out of their grief because playing with it centered them. Karen and I found that we were happy because we were in the moment. And slime allows you to be in that moment to connect with your girls. Slime starts with a glue base, and ingredients like lotion or clay are added to make it silky or soft. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can follow me on Twitter, too. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at business at That's all for today. Thanks for watching and have a nice weekend.